Well, good morning and welcome to Trace Church. How y'all doing today? Good, good, good. Guys, I got to tell you all, this is the very last day of us doing one service at 10 o'clock. Is that not exciting, huh? God is certainly on the move here. He's doing some great things. It's, it's funny because Aaron always has the opportunity to kind of start things, and they bring me in to close things out, like at the school and last of the services. But, but then again, they don't call me the closer for nothing. So uh, actually, I don't think anybody's ever called me the closer. I just, I, that's my own name for myself, okay? Anyway, hopefully you guys have had a, a fantastic summer. It's been filled with great memories and good stuff. Uh, school's just around the corner, so it feels like it's closing up a little bit on us. And I, I don't know if your summer was anything like, like mine. Uh, it was a little more hectic and a little bit more eventful this summer than, than it ever has been for us as a family. It, it kind of started in June. Uh, I'm the student pastor here over at Next Generations, and so we did all of our student activities in June, had camps uh, right back to back, and summer changes everything. Some really, really cool things happen in there. Uh, certainly we, we moved into this new facility and, and all that, uh, that has, has to happen in order to get, get started here. We just found out we're also moving into a new home at the end of this month. So we've had a lot of stuff going on in our life and in our family, but the, uh, the, the highlight of my summer was actually a family vacation that, uh, that we got to go on a few weeks ago. Now, um, for those of you all that have young kids, I have kids ages 8, 5, and 2. Uh, if, if you all have ever had to travel for, for vacation, you understand that I use that word very generously, all right? Vacation is not quite vacation whenever you're traveling, especially when, it's, when it's, you're cooped up in a minivan for like 1,800 miles round trip, you know, with, with three young kids, all right? It's, it's like survival time is what that is, okay? But uh, we had an opportunity uh, to go, and the destination for us was family camp, in California, one of our partners in, in ministry, supporters of us, uh, they saw way before we even knew it that we would need this kind of break, and so they sponsored us to go to this family camp out in California. And, and I just got to let you guys know this about myself. I'm, I'm one of those get-there kind of guys, okay? I, I, if, if I've got a destination, I want to get there as quickly as I possibly can. I don't care if it takes 28 hours. I'm going to get you there in a the day, all right? That's, that's how it's going to work, okay? So I'm going to get there, but my wife, thankfully, uh, she, she had a little different mentality. And she, she helped me remember that a lot of the memories are actually made along the way, along the journey. And so uh, I submitted to her request and we broke it up and extended the trips a few, a couple of extra days. And, and so we, we set out in the minivan and, and, and headed on through and we, we made some stops along the way. The first stop we, we hit was Moab. And I don't know if you guys have ever been to Moab, but it's like Garden of the Gods and Sedona and the Painted Desert all mixed into one massive thing. It's just incredible there. So we got a chance to kind of spend a little time there. It was cool. And, and since we're on our way to family camp, the, the most logical thing for us to do was to, to stop in Vegas. Um, that's, that's what you do, right, with your family. On a, on a Saturday night, this was taken probably about 11 o'clock at night. Um, guys, you know it's bad when the people that are in Vegas are judging you, Okay. And that's exactly what was happening. So we get Parents of the Year Award. We were, it's a Saturday night, 11 o'clock at night, hanging out with our kids in Vegas on the way to family camp. Awesome. It was also, I think this is my, my son's favorite part of the trip. So I don't know what that tells me, but I'm going to have to watch out for him. Okay, so we finally make it to California, and then we got a chance to hang out at this family camp, an incredible camp, uh, an eventful camp. I'll come back and talk a little bit more about that. This is my daughter celebrating her eighth birthday. This right here uh, was what they call the Adventure Mountain, which was 30 scoops of ice cream in one bowl, all right? And so we got a bunch of people together, and, and germaphobes just loved like eating out of the same bowl together. That was cool. You can't go that far west without putting your toes in the sand, so we spent a, a day at the beach and 
had a good time there. And then, then we circled back around. Instead of coming back the same way, we decided to go through Arizona and go back and see some of our friends, some, some of the people that are partners in ministry with us, that pray for us, and that are helping financially support us. And so we had a great time kind of getting refreshed there. And then on our way back up, we, we stopped through Santa Fe and, and, and went downtown. It's really kind of a neat thing down there. There's a church down there that's, that's considered to be the oldest church in the nation, which is so cool. So we got to go through that and see it. And, and then I'm on the way home, and, and, and I'm, I'm really close to killing my kids. And, and so God gave me this picture right here, which I think was a, was a sign directly to me in the same way that, that God spared a few, all right, that I could, I could get through this trip and survive without killing all of my kids, okay? So that's, that's what I thought of whenever we were heading back to Colorado Springs. But eventful to say, nonetheless, it was not restful, all right? It was not restful, but it was rewarding. You see, vacations are relaxing, but journeys, journeys very rarely are. There are missions. There, there are, are things to do on a journey, things that will wear you out, but, but make the time and the travel worth it. Now, there's a guy that we're going to be talking about today, and his, his name is Paul, and, and he was on a journey. And we've actually been talking about Paul for the last several weeks because he's been the subject of topic as we've been studying and we've been on the move in the book of Acts. And so those of you all that are just joining us now, we're kind of in the middle, closer to the end of the book of Acts of the Apostles. This is basically the, the recordings of history of the early church and, and how the Spirit of God was moving through these people and doing some crazy things. And so if you've got your Bibles with you today, go ahead and, and flip them open, turn them on to Acts chapter 19 and 20. If you don't have a Bible with you, um, then, then you can look it up on version. If you've got a phone or we got Bibles out there and guest services, we'd love to have you follow along with us. Uh, as, as it's been our custom over the summer, we want to encourage you guys to read these chapters ahead of time because you're going to get so much more out of these uh, chapters than what we're going to be able to cover. We're not going to be able to cover all of 19 and 20, but there's some really exciting stuff in there. There's like kids falling out of windows because they fell asleep listening to the guy preach, you know, and they, they die and come back to life. And if you'll notice here, we don't have any windows just for that purpose, okay? We don't want any of you guys causing harm to yourself while I preach to you today. So Acts chapter 19 and 20, that's where we find ourselves, and we see Paul on a journey. Uh, and, and this is something that we know about Paul. Paul, this is actually his, his third, what they call missionary journey. You can see on this map, uh, there's a couple different colors that show him kind of moving in and out. He starts from Antioch a couple times in Jerusalem uh, another time, and he's moving throughout the, the, the realm of, of influence here. And what he's doing is he's on this journey because he had an encounter with Jesus. And Jesus then commissioned him to go to all the Gentiles and to tell them about the good news that he had presented to him. And so he's, he's on a mission to go to the most influential cities. He's on a Jesus tour, and he wants to make Jesus famous among this whole region. And what I want you to do for right now is I want you, I want you to focus right here in the middle of the map where it says Ephesus because we're going to spend some time in Ephesus today because that's primarily where Acts chapter 19 and 20 are. And you'll see in, in chapter 1 of 19 it says, While Apollos, he was another apostle, uh, was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. Ephesus is a, is a centralized city. It's, it's a port city. It's a super influential city. It stands right in between kind of Jerusalem and Rome. And so it was incredibly strategic for Paul to, uh, to, to uh, visit this place. This is actually his second time going through this city at, at the very least that we know of. And, and so he's spending some time there. And while he's there, he runs into some disciples. And this is the interaction he has with them. He says, there he found some disciples and he asked them, did you receive the spirit when you believed? 
And they answered, no, we, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Now, I, I, I want to be the first one just to acknowledge this, guys. I, I don't have everything figured out about the Holy Spirit. I, I just don't. But this is what I've come to find out. In most of the churches that I've been a part of, that I've seen, that I've, I've heard of, um, they don't have any problem talking about the Father, and they know a lot about the Son, Jesus, but, but they have a hard time with the Holy Spirit. They have a hard time understanding Him, teaching about Him, talking about Him. It, it just becomes kind of garbled. And if truth be told, uh, we are probably to blame for this, because for some reason in the churches, we've actually made the Holy Spirit weird, Right? And some of you guys know what I'm talking about. You've been in experiences like this, and, and you're just like, man, that's just awkward. It's just, it's just weird. And therefore, we veered away from the conversation at all, which is a huge tragedy, because the Spirit is such a vital part of this spiritual journey that we're on. And so we, we, need, to, we need to talk about the Spirit. And so we're, we're going we're gonna to do that today. We're going to do that today. And so here's the deal. The, the Spirit is mysterious, and I don't have everything figured out about Him. I don't know all there is to know about Him, and, uh, but, but we are going to talk about Him, and it doesn't have to be weird. And for Paul, it certainly wasn't weird. Matter of fact, as he's, as he's going on, the first words that we get out of his mouth as he enters into this conversation with these people is, hey, did, did you guys receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? That was the starting point for his conversation. And, and, and I, I would think it to be possible that it was this interaction that Paul had with these guys that actually inspired him to write the, these words that he wrote to, to the Ephesians. Ephesians, if you look in your Bible, is one of the books of the Bible. It's a letter written by Paul to these, this group of people there. And he writes this to the, to the Ephesians. He says this, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And having believed, you were marked in him with a seal the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. Now, here's the deal. That, that the terminology used in there can be a little bit hard to understand, okay? And, and if, if you guys are here for the first time at Trace, man, I'm so glad you're here. Maybe this is the first time you've entered into the doors of a church and you're kind of in, in the middle of these conversations that we're having. I'd encourage you to go back and listen to some of the other messages we talked about in Acts. But allow me, allow me just to break this down quickly and give you kind of an explanation of what is happening here, okay? Uh, the Bible would speak this and the Christian faith would hold to the fact that there is one God, and He exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's hard to comprehend. It's hard to understand. We call this the Trinity, okay? But that is what the, the Christian church would believe. And, and here's what happens. The, the Father has, has declared His love for mankind, so much so that He sent His one and only Son, Jesus. We know about Him. We talk about Him, who was who sent here to bridge the gap between God and man. And he, and he accomplished that when he died on the cross for our sins and, and, and rose again on the third day, conquering death. But, but then the, the resurrected Jesus, as he's talking to his disciples, he says, guys, here's the deal. I must go so that something greater can come. And now, think to yourself for a minute. What could possibly be greater than, than God in flesh standing right next to you among us except for God in spirit living in us and dwelling in us? And what Jesus tells us is, he says, all who receive my words, all who accept who I am and what I have done, I will give you my spirit as a sign and a seal of the promise that I give to you. 
And that's what we believe. And it's hard to understand. It's hard to comprehend. But as a church, what we believe is that when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you put your trust in him, he actually gives you his spirit as his stamp, as his seal, as his tattoo on your life. He brands you with his Holy Spirit. And what that does is it, it offers you a promise. And that promise is this, that the spirit lives in you now, you will be with him forevermore. All right, the, the Holy Spirit is actually your sign of salvation. That's, that's what we're told in that passage in Ephesians. But, but it's not just a promise. It's also the power that comes along with this. And what we see is in Paul's interactions with these guys, they are disciples by his own admission, but he, he doesn't assume that they know everything that they need to know about who Jesus is. And so he asks them, did you receive the Holy Spirit whenever you believed? And I think there's a valuable lesson for us to learn in this because the fact of the matter is we cannot truly know if somebody is saved just by looking at them, talking with them, or interacting with them. We don't have that capability. We can't know whether or not the Spirit of God lives in you or you or you. I don't have that information. Paul didn't. He didn't know. And so instead of making an assumption that they knew these things, he entered into the danger and had a conversation with them so that they could be enlightened. And in this particular case, what we see is all that they knew of Jesus was John's baptism, which was repentance of sin and, and the coming of the Christ. And so they were putting their faith in something that was to come. But, but then Paul explains to them what the baptism of Jesus looks like. And, and because of what Jesus did, he actually now forgives your sins. He takes them away. The blood of the cross took them away. And he gives you his Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so these guys received that instruction. And in that moment, were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and they received the Holy Spirit. And it was in that moment that they went from expectation to experience. They went from simply being informed to being inspired. They went from potential to power because the Spirit entered into their lives. So, I, I, let me ask you a question. I think this is something that we have to wrestle with today. The simple question is this. I don't wanna make any assumptions for any of you that are in this room. Have you received the Holy Spirit? Does the Holy Spirit actually live and dwell in you? And if you don't know the answer to that question, or maybe your answer is no, and you would like to know more, by all means, please find myself or find, find Aaron or somebody here that, that could talk to you about what that looks like, because there is a promise and there is power that comes along with this. Well, Paul finishes that interaction, he continues on into to Ephesus. And, and he comes across uh, this group of Jews. And, and, and this is what we see in, in verse 13 through 16. It says, some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, they're, they're name-dropping at this moment, I, I command you to come out. As seven sons of a guy named Sceva, uh, he was a Jewish chief priest, were, were, they were the ones that were doing this. And one day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man, then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them, and he gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding, okay? This is this interaction that Paul is, is checking out. Now, now here's the deal. I, I've read this passage on, on, on several occasions, and honestly, what I've, I've typically done is I've, I've kind of skipped over it because I never fully understood what was going on here. Uh, but I had, a, I had a, an experience recently that, that caused me to look at this passage a little bit different. It shed some light on it for me. So Jesus I know, and Paul I've heard of, but who are you? 
And since there was a demon saying this, I can imagine he would like insert a cuss word in the middle of that too. So that's, that's how I read this, okay? But Jesus, I know, Paul, I know, but who are you? See, these seven sons of Sceva, they thought they were something because of who their dad was. And they were going around trying to perform these miraculous signs and powers. But the problem is, is they didn't know Jesus. They didn't have his spirit in them. And therefore, they were incompetent. They were incapable. They had no power. And, and, and apart from the spirit of God, we don't have those things. Especially when we're dealing with the spiritual realm. They were a spiritual nobody. And the demon that interacted with them put these guys in their place. Reminds me of what Paul wrote to the church in Galatia when he says, if anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. You see, these guys thought they were something, but because they didn't have the Spirit of God living in them, they walked away bruised and bleeding. And it's easy for us to stand on the outside looking into the story, and this is what I've always done. It's like, man, those guys are a bunch of bozos trying to enter into the spiritual realm without having the coverage of the Spirit. But here's what I've come to learn, that there are actually two types of people that this happens to. Certainly, certainly it happens to people that don't have the Spirit, but act like they do, like in the case of the seven sons here, okay? But it also happens to people who do have the Spirit, but choose not to lean on the Spirit. Instead, they choose to lean on their own self-sufficiency. And I happen to know this from personal experience, unfortunately. You see, my, my, biggest, my biggest reoccurring sin in my life is is choosing to try to do things on my own and neglecting to lean on the Spirit instead. I, that's my biggest reoccurring sin. I know this for myself. And, and that happens not only when I'm trying to withstand temptation, but it also happens when I'm, I'm trying to share Jesus with other people. Like we talked about last week, Aaron, Aaron shared about this. When we try to do it on our own power, we don't listen to the Spirit. Man, we get it all fumbled up. But it happens when I try to counsel people or, or lead others or parents. Guys, I... I, I lean into my own self, into my wisdom, into my knowledge, into my strength way too much. And I neglect the spirit inside of me. And the result is oftentimes devastating. Now guys, when I, when I use the word sin, when I'm talking of self-sufficiency, I'm not doing that lightly. Understand that, that, that it is no better, it is no worse than, than issues with, with lust or pride or lying, or greed, and all of those things make the ticket for me too, guys, okay? But in many ways, when you have the Spirit of God, and you have the power and the promise that He offers you, and you choose to lean on your own self, I think sometimes that might be more grievous. It might be more sinful, if it could be. Because even when you have the Holy Spirit living in you, if you neglect to lean on His strength, you will oftentimes walk away exposed and hurt, and, and, and maybe worst of all, not helping anybody else. I don't know if you guys caught it in this passage, but, but the seven sons, like they, they're not bad guys. They were actually trying to release this dude from being demon-possessed. But because they tried to do it on their own strength and power, uh, not only did they get their butts kicked, all right, but, but these guys also, they, they remained with demon possession. They didn't help anybody in the process. And I gotta tell you, I can get into the habit that blinds me from seeing this for myself I wrote this in second person, but this is, me. this is for me. This is for me. And so let me say it in first person. But it's not until I feel completely helpless that I realize I can't do it on my own. And I actually recently had an experience with this very thing uh, at the family camp that we happened to be at on our, on our family journey. And as I kick off the story, I, I want you all to take a look at this video. Uh, and this will, this will start it off for us. This is not what you want to be doing on your family vacation. 
precious little girl fell out a window on the top bunk and hit her head pretty hard so we're headed to the hospital right now please be praying for clover so let me set the stage. Uh, we're on family vacation, first day of the trip. And uh, it's middle of the afternoon. We're back at our bunks. Uh, my older two kids are playing outside, jumping on some rocks. And um, a, a lady had asked me to move my car, so I was moving my car. And, uh, and my little girl, Clover, she's, she's two years old. Uh, she, she was liking climbing up the, the bunk beds. And so she's inside the cabin. She climbs up on Keeley's bunk bed, which happens to be the one uh, closest to the door by the window. And so when she gets up there, uh, she sees her, her brother and her sister playing outside. And so I guess she's trying to get their attention. And, and so she's up on the second level of a bunk bed and she, she pushes on the screen because it was hot and the window was down. And so she pushes on the screen and all of a sudden the, the screen gives way. And it falls out of the window, and along with the screen, my daughter falls headfirst from over six feet straight onto her head, onto the concrete. And immediately, immediately I hear this scream, and I had my window down, and, and I knew exactly, I knew that was my baby. I knew that was my girl, and so I, I get out of my car, and I run over, and, and she's, she's screaming, and she's crying, and... And thankfully, uh, my wife and I, we didn't see that happen because that would just be replaying through our mind over and over. But there was a, a bunk mate, a guy who was there, was just sitting outside, and he saw what happened and recounted the story to us. And so I pick up my little girl, and, and I just check her out, and I can see this lump already forming on her head and starting to bruise, but it's not bleeding. And I'm thinking, okay, that's okay. And then I'm thinking, oh, what if there's internal bleeding that's going on right now? Like, I'm starting to think of all the worst things. And so I, I put her on my shoulder just to comfort her because it's the only thing that I know to do. And... and and then I start to think, I don't know where the nurse's station is at. So I just start heading down the, down the hill. And so I'm, I'm walking down the hill and I'm telling my baby it's going to be okay. And, and she stops crying and she starts to become a little bit more lethargic. And we find the nurse's station and we go in. We start to tell her what happened. And, and uh, she's do, doing some tests and everything else. And, and while we're doing that, all of a sudden my little girl starts going in and out of consciousness. And we're starting to try to wake her up and keep her awake. And she wakes back up for a moment, and then she, she spits up all over me. And so, and so now I'm thinking in my, my mind that, that these, are, these are symbols of, of like head trauma. This is bad news. This is not good. She, she's trying to go to sleep, and she's throwing up. And finally, the, uh, the paramedics arrive, and they start doing some, some tests. And then the ambulance gets here, and everybody is in consensus. Like, she needs to go to the ER. We need to go get her checked out right away. And so uh, my wife and I agree she's going to go in the ambulance and, and go with my daughter, and I'm going to follow behind her in, in the van. Um, and so I sit in the van, and this is the first time now that I'm away from my daughter for a moment, and I have a minute to think about this. And guys, I just felt helpless. I felt helpless. I was doing the best I could to, to hold it together, but anxiety starts to creep inside of my, my head. I start, start thinking about all the worst possible scenarios. Is my daughter going to be okay? Is there going to be like ongoing like damage from this head trauma. I've heard of and seen other, other people with much less blows to the head that have had much more significant consequences. And so all these things start processing through my mind and then something weird happens. I start to get mad. I start to get mad at people. I start getting mad at God. Like, why did why'd you let this happen? I start getting mad at myself, my wife. Why do we even let her go up the, the stairs? I start getting mad at my kids. Like, why are you out there playing and distracting? My daughter? Why, why, lady, why did you ask me to move my car at this moment? I started blaming people. And then I, started, then I started worrying. Started thinking, man, this is, this is gonna end the trip. We're gonna, we just drove all the way out here, now we're gonna drive all the way back. And I started thinking, man, okay, um, ambulance ride, ER trip, doctors, tests, procedures, man, this is gonna be expensive and we don't have like a traditional insurance. Like, what's this gonna cost? It's gonna be crazy. 
This is going to throw off our entire week. And it was in that moment I, I, I heard a still small voice enter my thoughts. And this is, this is what he said. Corey, who are you leaning on? It's right there in that moment as I'm reflecting back on this. Like right there in that moment I realized as ridiculous as it possibly could be, even though all of these things were completely out of my control, I was still trying to hold on to the things that I felt like I control, which was blaming and worrying and being anxious. Instead of leaning in on the Spirit of God and asking Him for my, my peace, asking Him for protection and care over my daughter, I was fighting that battle on my own. And the devil is going, I know Jesus, I know Paul, who are, who are you? Who are you? So finally, I, uh, I get out my phone, which you're not supposed to do in California, by the way, or probably anywhere. Uh, I start texting people. And I, and I just, I, I texted people I know would pray for us. And, and from that moment forward, I just started having a conversation with God about this scenario. And I asked him to take it over. And we get there to the hospital and they start doing some examinations and they do a CT scan on my daughter. And, and now we're sitting and we're just waiting. We're just waiting. And then uh, one of the doctors comes in, one that we haven't seen yet. She's actually the boss of the other doctors, and so, uh, which is typically a, a bad sign. That means, you know, they're coming in to tell you something that's not good, and they cost more money, and all that kind of stuff. And so all these things are going through my mind, and, and, and then she says, hey, here's the deal. We've looked at all the tests, and uh, we, we, we checked out the CT scan, and uh, your daughter is completely fine. She's okay. You, you can take her home. Guys, I know, I know that these kinds of accidents, they happen. They happen all the time, all over the world. But as I, I was recounting this story further and we were talking to some other people, we realized something. I have no doubt in my mind that this was a, this was a, a battle that was being fought on a spiritual side. This was spiritual warfare. You see, the, the, the devil knew that there were some things that God wanted to communicate to my wife and my family and myself over this week. And that if he could do something to distract us, to get us off our game, then, then he would win that week. And we would not come back rejuvenated with a, with a refreshed mind of what God wants to do in and through us. And so he was trying to get us sidetracked. It was like a, a demon jumping on our family, and particularly me, because I was getting beat up. I, I was getting my butt kicked because I was depending upon my own self. But thank goodness God was fighting for me. And thank goodness I recalled the spirit that lives in me and started leaning on him instead of my own strength because I couldn't do it anymore. I came to the end of me and I realized I've got to lean on him. I just wish that I would understand those things earlier in my life when things are going difficult. Because I wouldn't have to endure all of this before I started leaning on the Spirit. Now, guys, I'm, I'm, I'm really cautious when I talk about spiritual warfare because I'm not one of those guys, guys that thinks that there's a devil behind every rock. But, but I, I've been around it enough to, to know a couple things. One, when, when God is trying to show you something, the devil's typically trying to distract you for something. And when you're, you're getting ready to do something uh, significant for the kingdom, the devil's going to try to do something to stop you. And typically when there's spiritual warfare, there's unexplainable things that happen in the midst of this. And all of those things were happening in the, in the midst of this conversation. Amazingly, as we started talking to the nursing staff and the doctors about my daughter's injury, they said, she doesn't even have a concussion. After all that, 
didn't even have a concussion. And the very next day, her lump on her head had gone completely away, and there was hardly even a bruise there of any notice. You, show that picture again real quick, if you don't mind. This little girl fell over six feet directly onto the concrete, onto her head, and there was no evidence that it had even happened. Guys, that's the power of God demonstrated. That's the power of God demonstrated. He, he can do those kind of things. Now, I don't know about you, um, but I, I want to be the kind of person that is known by the devil. I want to be known by the devil. That might not make much sense to you, but looking back at this story, when he's talking to the seven sons of Sceva, he says, Jesus, I know, Paul, I know, who are you? They, they didn't know him because they, he wasn't doing anything significant for the kingdom of God. He didn't have the spirit of God living in him. He wasn't on the front lines doing anything about it. Guys, I want to be the kind of guy that the devil knows by first name. Not because of the, not because of the failures and the ways in which he knows how to get a hold of me, but because of the victories that are won through the spirit of God. I want to be on the front lines doing battle every day so that he looks at me and he says, yeah, I know that guy. I know that guy, and he doesn't lean on his own strength. He leans on the Spirit, and I lose every time. You see, I don't want to remain anonymous, and I don't want to be unproductive. Instead, I want to make the biggest difference on this side of heaven as I possibly can for that side of eternity. That's what I desire, and I know I can't do that on my own. The only way I can do that is by leaning on the Spirit of God. Yeah, I know. I know Jesus. I know Paul. Yeah, I heard of that guy, Aaron. I don't know him as well, but um, that Corey guy, I'm starting, to, I'm starting to recognize him. I'm starting to recognize who he is. Trace Church, what would, what would the devil say about us as a collective group of people? Would he recognize who we are? Would the world around us know that the Spirit lives in us? Because I think we have to do some business today. I think we have to answer some questions for us. And here they are. Will we receive the Holy Spirit? Yeah, we believe in God the Father. Yeah, we believe in Christ the Son. We believe in the Holy Spirit, who's actually the one accomplishing the work of Christ in us in the here and now. We're going to talk about him, and we're going to live in him. We're going to invite him. Have, have we received the Holy Spirit? Are we allowing him to do his work in us? Are we choosing to lean on the Spirit for supernatural things? Not just showing up here on Sunday and singing some songs and hearing a message, but actually allowing that to, to move us and to inspire us and to empower us and embolden us to go and do something about it. Will we leave our imprint in this community? If, if we were removed from this place, would, would anybody even notice? Would the devil take notice? And here's the deal, if we start leaning on the Spirit in that way, our neighbors will know that we have the Spirit of God. Our city will hear about it. They'll recognize it. The angels in the heavens will rejoice, and the name of Jesus will be made famous in all of Colorado Springs, and hopefully wherever God takes you to be traces of his love. So let's do some business today, guys, on a personal level, because we have to do it personally before we can do it corporately like this. So here's the deal. These are two questions I want you to to honestly wrestle with. One is this, no assumptions. Do you have the Holy Spirit living in you right now? Does he abide in you and you in him? And secondly, if you do, are you truly letting the Holy Spirit lead your life?
Let's pray. Father, thank you for, uh, thank you for your words that are spoken, uh, these examples that we see, things that we're able to pull from. Lord, I thank you for the experiences in my life, uh, th- this scenario that just radically shook me up and, and moved me from a place of self-sufficiency to a place of dependency on you, and that's a wonderful place to be. Our culture preaches independence, but Lord, you tell us that dependency is actually where we find freedom. It's where we find power. It's where we find promise. And so I pray that you would make us a church, a group of people that are fully dependent upon your spirit. Take us where you would lead us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.